Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my co-host, who has been my co-host for the last 17 years when we used to call this an internet radio show versus a podcast. So Kathy and I are, uh, are here. And so one of the reasons that we love doing this is that we're always trying to help you, our listeners, come up with a few things that you could do differently. Sometimes it's a, a nugget that you could do more of. How do you become a top performer? You know, Kathy and I have a, a book, Emotional Brilliance, uh, How to Live a Stressless, Fearless Life, that you can get at emotionalbrilliance.com slash academy. And a lot of what we do is really focusing on evidence-based strategies to help you be in the top 10%. Who doesn't want to be in the top 10% if you knew how to do it? So hopefully we'll provide that. And Kathy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you there, my longest standing partner ever. <laughs> I, I, I am I know, so amazed great. by that because, well, it, it blows me away. As you know, Relly, uh, my, my husband Matthew and I started a new podcast called Strategies for Turbulent Times for the uh, public safety and law enforcement DOD crowd. And I, I challenge him every show. I say, okay, remember, you've only been doing this now for a short period of time. I've been with Relly for 17 years. I challenge him on every show to stay with me. (laughs) And I think every show, (laughs) his ability to stay with me gets longer and longer. But, you know, we are so excited to be uh, hosting our guest today. Uh, Brad McLean, and and before we get into his bio, I think he really resonates with some of the ongoing questions that we help our audience transform with, and that is, what kind of emotions do top performers experience, and how do they gear themselves up for a top Mm -hmm. performance, and how can we get a better understanding of how emotions affect us? Uh, what makes up an emotionally brilliant performance. And, of course, our goal in every show is to help you, our audience, improve, expand, and select the best emotional competencies and strengths to master any moment. So I'm very excited to uh, talk about uh, our guest, Brad McLean. So, Riley, why don't you jump right in? And, and we'll okay. go right into our interview. Yes, yes. So let me tell you about Dr. Brad McLean. He's the author of Designing Transformative Experiences. That's really going to be our, our focus here. His uh, book is, uh, I think it's just come out. It's a toolkit for leaders, trainers, teachers, and other experienced designers. And he's the founder of Designing Transformative Experiences, LLC. His background, he's a social scientist interested in the nature and psychology of identity development, learning, and leadership with over 20 years of experience working with organizations and leaders of all stripes. He's based uh, in Boulder, which is a great place, University of Colorado, serves as a director 
of the Center for STEM Learning and Director of Corporate Research at the National Center for Women in Information Technology. He routinely works closely with companies, including Apple, Google, Morgan Stanley, dozens of others. And, um, Kathy, you'll be interested in this. He served two terms on the board of directors for the Jane Goodall Institute and was the United States chair of Dr. Goodall's Roots and Shoots Leadership Committee. So, uh, Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you both. And how wonderful to be uh, interviewed by two legendary leadership experts. I'm, I'm feeling prestigious today. Thank you for having me oh. on. <laughs> well, we're, we're delighted. And so uh, before we get into the, the first question here, uh, uh, Brad, the reason why Relly was saying I would be very interested in your association with, uh, with, with Jane Goodall was because I, too, have a history uh, with this wonderful human being because of my work as a physical anthropologist and my uh, former husband, as I said, men come and go in my life. <laughs> my former husband <laughs> was the, uh, he's the, one of the founders of the, uh, the uh, World Wildlife Federation over there uh, in the Congo. And I spent some time uh, over there myself. So, yeah, nice connections, a great opportunity. Let me kick this off with our favorite question, Brad, and that yeah. is, who has had the most influence on you and your career, and maybe why? Yeah, well, let me, let me dive off the, 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 the diving board you just set up, because Jane is such a huge influence on so many people's lives, you know, and it's so wonderful to hear that you have that background and experience uh, in your own life. You know, when Jane touches people, it's on a very personal level, even when she's talking to a large crowd. And, you know, a lot of my interactions with her have been influential. You know? And I, I was first introduced to her in college, in my undergrad, by one of my uh, favorite professors, Mark Beckoff, who's an uh, animal behaviorist, and, uh, and he introduced me to her. And the relationship grew over time, you know, as I got out into the world, and, uh, and Jane kept ramping up all that she was doing. I've always been um, struck by how intimate her communication, as she would say, I found that I had a voice, that I was able to tell the stories, that I was able to communicate for the animals who didn't have a voice in this world. And that was her mission, uh, and it's only grown from there. So that ethic, that role model, that uh, inspirational approach to making change as a change leader has, has been a you know, a beacon, a lighthouse for me, especially in times where I had mm. felt that I wasn't good at that, as we all have at times, and we need to look to that inspirational person. The fact that that person is still alive at 93, traveling the world, and hasn't let up at all is even more inspiring. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. inspiring, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and by the way, not 93, next year is her 90th birthday. So, yeah, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit. <laughs> so her 90th birthday That's tour great. will be across the world next year. Kudos to Jean. You know, the the question you pose is, is an interesting one. Usually in a scholarly way, you'd say, well, who are your major influences? But 
like a, like a lot of people who are passionate about their work, it's those personal ones, you know, including our parents. Mm-hmm. My parents, for sure, are so inspirational. Lucky to have both of them still with us. I had a wonderful fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Rave, who opened my eyes from a small town in Nebraska to a larger universe. And I maintained contact with her until the day she died, only a few years ago. And I've also been blessed with a a number of unusual experiences. When I worked at NASA on the space shuttle program, I was blessed to work with the crew of STS-107, which turned out to be the last flight of Columbia, as we all know, the second uh, disaster after the Challenger, where we lost all the astronauts. Mm. And the experience of losing them uh, was the subject of my first TEDx talk, because it really tells the story of how I became interested in transformational experiences. What was I experiencing? How was I struggling with it? How did it work? If I could understand the psychology of it, what, what, would that make it easier? Would that make it better? Um, you know, those kinds of things were, were huge influences on my life. And so you just mentioned that you have a, a, a TEDx talk and you said your first one. So is there, uh, and we can look up your name and find that. Is there a second one that you also have? Okay, well, yeah. You know, they, they asked me back, so I guess I did okay <laughs> the first time. And yeah, the yeah. second one was a youth, youth talk. That one was uh, on the subject uh, you know, of coming of age. That was called What Would You Die For? And um, mm-hmm. it was about making choices in your life that set you up for success, even when you're a young person. You know, And this echoes back to Jane again. Mm-hmm. She would always say in her Roots and Shoots program, you may only be 10 years old, but that doesn't mean – that you can't make a difference in the world right now. And right. we all have a role to play. Will we rise to that role? I think it's a, a question of leadership, leading our own lives, but also leading our teams, our companies, our classrooms, or whatever it may be. Uh, it's a call to leadership. And will we answer it? And how will we answer it? Powerful questions, so, indeed. Yeah, so as we jump into this, uh, Brad, I'm really interested in hearing about how you describe, you know, what is a transformation, transformative experience. You know, my in my past, uh, in the early in my career, which was very transformative, is working in these outward bound programs where you take people out for 23 days and they oh, have yeah. this experience about themselves and what they could do. And I remember people, you know, at the very end saying, "I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a million dollars for this experience because it's so valuable." But I wouldn't take two yeah. million dollars to do it again. <laughs> and so this <laughs> idea of ha- of having an experience that really is transformative. So how would you describe that? Yeah, and by the way, love outward bound. Include a section of it in my book. I uh, learned a lot from um, right. people like you who have done it. Um, you know, when I first started looking at this, I realized that nobody had a really good definition of a transformative experience. It's kind of an arm wavy thing. And being scholars, you'll relate to this. I needed a researchable definition, one that I could ask yeah. questions, I could rub up evidence against, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So the, it, it finally landed on this, that a, a transformative experience is a learning experience that has an identity impact. That is an experience we have that somehow changes our sense of self in one or more ways. Mm. And that introduces us to the world of identity theory and the psychology of how we form our ideas about who we are who we want to become in the future and and all the different nuances of identity. When we have an experience that has changed our sense of self, sometimes we know in the moment that it's happening. 
sometimes we only know, you know, looking in the rearview mirror many years later, and say, ah, that was the moment that I changed. In both cases, mm. they are times when we have experienced the change of our sense of self. So, you know, the old adage that a leopard can't change its spots can't be more untrue in my, you know, it's not the, that the leopard can't, the, the spots change, the leopard changes, the whole damn thing changes, you know. And so if we can grasp this as leaders and understand this process, wouldn't that be a powerful leadership tool put in our toolkit? Oh, it's, it's not only uh, a powerful tool to have in our toolkit, but it's an opportunity for us to reflect on how we have defined who we are and how we can also shift that if we choose to. So let's, let's jump in here into this designing transformative experiences, Brad, and tell us a little bit about how leaders become designers and yeah. what does this shift mean for leadership and its, and its impact on the individuals that they touch? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, the, the idea that not only can we understand how transformative experiences work, but how can we harness it as a, not just, like you say, a leadership tool, but actual new perspective on leading entirely. I call it experience design leadership, and it invites leaders to recast themselves beyond the traditional leadership role as experience design and open up this new psychology. And it really, like you suggest, redefines leaders, but also their teams, and really redefines success. So, you know, it changes the role of what leaders can do and what they think they can do. Um, beyond, for example, in the corporate realm, which I work in a lot, beyond leading teams of people working to develop products and services or meeting deadlines or quarterly targets, suddenly, as an experienced designer, the growth and whole person's potential of team members, you know, it evolves from bumper sticker wisdom to something really tangible, accessible, and designable, you know, so we can use many of the things that you all work in, emotional intelligence, and cognition, team cognition, uh, and the psychology behind all that. How can leaders then create experiences with their people where they can invest personal meaning in their jobs and, and thrive at work? And, and, you know, we are dying to thrive at work in this post-COVID era. We are thirsty for something more than the paycheck or the job role or the title. Um, we're looking for that personal meaning. And if leaders see themselves as designers of experiences, they start to assemble that, that viewpoint where they can analyze, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And who are we mm -hmm. becoming while we do it as people, as teams? So I think that's the, the biggest shift in this perspective that leaders embrace when they embrace it. Mm. Amazing. So, Brad, uh, just to highlight those two questions that you're thinking, that really stimulates the brain. First, why are we doing this versus just the transaction versus, you know, transformative? And then mm -hmm. who are we becoming? Just that question, uh, you know, I know, Kathy, for you too, this has got to be pretty interesting. Just ask, yes, that question, like, who are we becoming? I think many people will kind of be staring at me like, uh, what do you mean? You know, that's a pretty, yeah. provocative, <laughs> pretty provocative question there. Um, I, I love so, that stare, by the way. When, when the whole group of people looks back at you with that stare and you just let it hang in the air for a little while. Yeah, that's a good mo magic yeah. moment. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we're um, we're going to go to a a very quick break, Brad. So hold that thought, and we'll we'll come back to more of designing transformative experiences. So don't go away. You're listening to Leadership Development News. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Icy Tech. Like the hard-working men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. How can you be brilliant in the moment, given the daily challenges you face at work and home? How can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with Brad McLean, and if you're interested in more information that he's stimulating here, it's www.designing.com. TransformativeExperiences.com. DesigningTransformativeExperiences.com. That's a, a mouthful, Brad, and so we want to make sure that we kind of break this down. And as you uh, talk about this, the experiential learning variables and indicators, I know you have an acronym for this. Tell us a little bit about how this came about, you know, and how did you come up with this? So break it down for us. 
Yeah. Well, it was the question, you know, after after my first TEDx talk where I was talking about the nature of transformative experiences and from a leadership standpoint, people came up to me and asked me questions like, how do I apply this to my corporate boardroom, to my startup? How do I use this to make mm-hmm. better museum exhibits or write a movie script or, you know, all of these things? How do I apply it? And, and I realized, you know, that I didn't have any good answers. So I went back to the drawing board, the research drawing board for several years uh, working on this problem, how to apply it. And out of it came this framework, this Elvis tool, if you will. It's the experiential learning variables and indicators system. And yes, intentionally made it Elvis because after working for dozens of years in, in acronym world, both academia and NASA and NCWIT, working uh-huh. for acronyms, literally, I had had it up to my gills with acronyms. So I figured, all right, if I'm going to make an acronym, damn it, I'm going to make it memorable and with a good image, you know, and not just Elvis Presley, right? We've got lots of great Elvi in the world. So I thought it would be fun and memorable for leaders to latch onto this. Uh, what is the oh, there, there are definitely a lot leader? of variables in what you get when you get an Elvis. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I see the yeah. point there. So can you give us, as, as Relly was alluding to, uh, some kind of a, a scenario or a case study that shows the application of this in the real world to give our audience a very concrete example of how it might work. Yeah, absolutely. And and there are so many in the book as well. But since we were just uh, talking about Jane Goodall earlier, I'll give you one from that world. Um, her oh, education program is called Roots and Shoots, and it's in 60, 70 countries all over the world, started some 30 years ago by Jane and a group of teenagers in Tanzania. And it was all about um, empowering kids to make positive differences in the lives of people, animals or the environment in their local community, right? Because they wanted to do something like Jane was that made the world a better place. But the whole central premise is that adults get out of the way and kids lead the charge. And that is that they mm. develop projects, they devise them, they execute them, they assess them, they, and they try to accomplish whatever goals they've set for themselves. And this is everything from elementary school kids to college kids and sometimes great mixes of, of both. And we've been working on this for years. While I was in the leadership role, uh, we started looking at the psychology behind Elvis, experience design, and saying, maybe we should move the goalposts. Maybe there's value in kids pursuing these projects, even when they fail. And if so, how can we articulate that? How can we measure it? How can we redesign roots and shoots to make it so that is more uh, salient? Right. So instead of defining success as, well, did your campaign, did your project work? We started to define success in terms of identity growth. Does the experience of participating in this program actually help kids develop identities as powerful change agents and identities that are durable over time? And now we have a project looking back at these 30 years, asking people who are now adults, how did that experience change you? Like you were just mentioning earlier with the outward bound, right? How did that experience change you in ways that had ripple effects for the rest of your life? And all of this because of a, a perspective of leadership that recast the leaders as experienced designers and then attending to that transformational kind of holy grail of experienced design leadership 
can we achieve transformations of the sense of self for ourselves and people who work with and for us? So any one memorable example of a young child who goes through this process and then who, as an adult, 30 30 years later, talks about this transformative experience shaping them and their ability to, if you will, apply and translate that into whatever work they've chosen. Yeah, like a life trajectory, yeah. These things that that influence and nudge us sometimes subtly, sometimes drastically, and often attached to an inspiring leader. I had one uh, individual who was a troubled youth in trouble with the law and and with drugs and, and theft auto. And uh, got involved in Roots and Shoots through um, the probation officer that uh, he was working with. Uh, and eventually, you know, a rough patch to begin and get into it. But upon doing it, and never met Jane or anybody like that, but knew of the story. But getting into it later became one of the leaders of the Roots and Shoots campaign. Later was invited to the National Youth Leadership Council. And so experiences were being designed that were intended to, to grow and mature that person's identity, uh, eventually traveling to Africa and working with underserved communities out there uh, for environmental projects, uh, and eventually then deciding to become a lawyer for the EPA and having tracked that entire process back to mm. being in trouble with the law and being introduced by his probation officer to, to Roots and Shoots. And so a whole team of leaders at different stages, but all of whom, in one way or another, saw themselves as experienced designers. And now this person working, you know, on behalf of the environment uh, for the government to make the world a better place. In actuality, still doing a Roots and Shoots project. He just forged his whole life around it. That's a very inspiring Yeah, yeah very. Yeah. Beautiful story. Thank that's you. A, that's, that's a great example. Um and so, Brad, in your book, and first, did your book just come out, or how long has the book been out? Then I have a question about it. Yeah, just came out about, uh, well, it just came out, you know, to everybody else about uh, two months ago. And to me, you know, it's oh. been 15 years in the making, as you know how these things go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kathy, Kathy, you know, and I know that well too much. So, anyway. <laughs> so, in, the, in the book, uh, you've laid out seven key experiential design elements that compromise the Elvis design. And then we want to hear some of that, but I'm really interested early in my career, one of my professors and I followed up in some of the work that I've done around outward bound. And it was really about what's called occasions for meaning, the elements that allow occasions for meaning, which I think is very parallel to what you're going to share here now. And then how do we highlight those elements? So, Say a little bit more about what those seven keys are. Yeah, yeah. And the the seven tools of Elvis, they build on the framework. You know, there's two parts to the Elvis experience design leadership framework. The first one is the sequence that people go through when they have a transformative experience. And as leaders, if we understand that, and and I work a lot with corporate leaders, we can design our, our team trajectories along this line. The first element is a discomfort zone experience. Yeah. We all know growth doesn't happen in the comfy, cozy chair that we're sitting on in our living room in front of the fire. We have to get up. We have to go out the door, and we have yeah. to um, put our identities at risk. And how to do that 
is is really a skill. Risk is a skill that um, needs to be learned for effective leadership in this way. There have to be risk invitations. How do you craft them? There's risk um, decisions that our people make if they accept those risk invitations. And then there's risk outcomes, and one of them is quite often failure. So how we deal with fail, failure and how, how do we fail forward if we know how to for ourselves and our teams? That's a big one for transformative experiences. The second part is that all of our experiences are translated into narratives at the end of the day. And that's something we're hardwired for. This is where the neurobiology kicks in, right? This is the idea that humans, and I've actually talked about this with Jane before, are we the only animals that do this? Apparently we are to the degree that we do. We're obsessed with narratives, and we translate every living experience into a story. But it's not just a description of what happened. There's good evidence to show that we actually live and interpret our experiences as they are happening in the form of story. That gives us a huge leadership tool to craft uh, uh, an experience using that narrative by asking the question, what is the narrative I want my people to come out of this experience with? And then reverse engineering the design of it. So at the end of this task or project or deadline or emergency, what is the narrative I would like them to come out of with? You know, you can't control it, but you can influence it as the leader. And then the third mm-hmm. component is the identity part. If those narratives are powerful enough, if those experiences in the discomfort zones of our lives are powerful enough, then they affect and influence our identity narratives. These are the stories that inform us about who we are and who we want to become. And when that happens, when we've successfully changed our identity narratives, Let me try this on for you, Brad, and let me know if this fits this um, identity and narrative application. When when I was at Canyon Ranch for many years with the founder of the Life Enhancement Center, uh, Dan Baker, he would use a wonderful storytelling opportunity with senior executives. And for our audience, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the story you choose to tell people about who you are and the story you choose to tell people who you are when you want to impress them. And Mm -hmm. in many instances, Brad, I think you may agree that the narrative that we choose to tell when we are being intimate with someone on a real authentic level is a little bit different than the story we tell when we want people to like us or we want to impress them. And the reason why I share this, this scenario is because we can either come to the narrative in a positive way to explain to people in a very wonderful light how we became who we are by looking at all the positive things in our lives or we can come to it from all the, if you will, pivotal moments where you could have fallen into the dark hole, but where you mm-hmm. actually created that pivot and were able to keep moving against all odds. And so you come up with this narrative, and I want the audience to really think about what story do you tell? And how do you tell that story? Because I think that's where we shape our identity. And he would have all of us 
Um, and of course, as one of the, the teachers, the instructors, I would uh, go along with this and help people craft the story. You have to really understand what you're doing, because if you tell that story the right way, yeah. it will, in fact, change who you are and your identity and recognize who you are in that story a little differently than you thought you were going into the story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I have three answers for you. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I'm trying to just give our audience little examples of, you know, how this works in, in, in yeah. our real world, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the wonderful thing about us in so many ways is that we all possess a library of volumes in our identity vault, you know, and we all have multiple identities. This is the whole idea behind intersectionality, which is so big in, in diversity, equity, and inclusion work in the corporate world. The idea that we all inhabit different identities, like hats on different occasions. We wear them. We roll out these, these identity narratives, whether to impress or whether to be intimate, um, and they have different flavors and purposes. And I love your question of what are these identities and how do they shape us? The telling of those narrative identities, how do they uh, shape who we are? And my favorite question is how has it changed over time? Because we do change these stories. Mm -hmm. And that's a powerful tool for leaders. These stories are malleable. Whatever story you've been telling yourself about who you are and who you want to be is constantly being reauthored. And the author is you. How do I really intentionally grab hold of that idea in a practical way to, to make my life more in line with what I want it to be or who I want myself to be? That, back to that question, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Who are we becoming while we do it? A leader who asks those kinds of questions in the corporate world on a regular basis of their team is fostering a, a team identity narrative, and that is also mm -hmm. known as culture, right? The, the subculture of a team. And it either provides a compelling and inspirational narrative framing for the work we're doing together, or it does not. Either I will be inspired and able to invest personal meaning in this work that we're doing, or I'm going to be thinking of this as a stepping stone and looking, you know, on Indeed for my next job opportunity. And so mm -hmm. it's a very critical realization for leaders that I work with, and, and mostly I work with uh, big tech and fintech companies to take a look at their work and their teams and say, you know, it's not just a collection of people meeting these deadlines and tasks. This is an experience. My team is an experience, and I'm the lead designer of that experience. Mm -hmm. how, how can I, you know, grab hold and harness that psychology to make it worthwhile for all of my team members? You know, Tim Cook has a great phrase. I'll paraphrase him about the way he wanted to change Apple culture after he took over uh, after Steve Jobs. He said, I want to make a place where my people can do their life's work. And it's so passionate, and I loved it. Because it implies a place where they can thrive and grow, and they won't have to leave here to go and grow somewhere else, but a place also where we can imbue our work with personal meaning and hit that sweet spot, you know, where our, our work and our lives uh, are congruent. And, uh, you know, it's really a holy grail for, for most people in the world. We, we think of our work and our life as two opposing forces that need to be balanced. What if we could integrate them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an important question. Yeah, that's really good. I like that uh, as far as do your life's work. Um, kind of getting back to some of the basics when you talked about the seven keys. I think you talked about discomfort, 
narrative, which is hardwiring the identity, um, you know, is it powerful enough? What, what are the other key variables that you highlight in your book? Yeah, yeah, this is what I could dub the Elvis, the Elvis Seven, and um, they're they're tools in the Elvis Toolkit, and they help leaders get familiar with some of the psychology, but also with actual design tips, practical ways to employ them, uh, accompanying mm-hmm. stories from, from all kinds of uh, leader, and wherever you know mentors and proteges that dynamic is operating, these apply. And I'll run through them real quickly um, because the, we don't have to get into the whole book is about this, right? Uh, risk is a big one about how we think of risk uh, in order to create this comfort zone experiences. That is at the top of the mm-hmm. list. And risk being a skill, yeah. how do we do internal risk calculus? And importantly, how do we treat failure and, and success as an outcome of risk? Mm-hmm. Um, leaders are somewhat familiar with this that I work with all the time, but when we cast in that identity angle and that experience design angle, suddenly what they know about risk becomes amplified and more powerful. You know, I always love to ask teams, what is your risk culture? And a good way to look at and, what it is is to ask your team members, not not the leader, because there's usually a gap between them. <laughs> you know, what is that? What happens if I make a mistake? You know, and I end up on the six o'clock news because the phone software doesn't work. You know, <laughs> Brad, <laughs> is, we're going to be okay. Gonna take, yeah, we're going to we're going to yeah. take a very quick break, and we're going to come back to these concepts that are are so powerful for understanding how we can continue to design a transformative experience, not only for ourselves, but for those around us. So don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Development News. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs, they help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. IC Tech. Like the hardworking men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. IC Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand with quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. IC Tech, for those who get it. 
Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practice of Top Performers. And we're talking with uh, Brad McLean here, who helps you be a top performer in designing transformative experiences. His website, www.designingtransformativeexperience.com. His book just came out where it's got some tools and tips. And so we're highlighting the seven areas. So, Brad, you first talked about in designing it is risk, failure, you know, and talk about that. What are the, what are the other key ones? Yeah, you know, they all work in concert, uh, and they merge into each other. So following risk, the next Elvis tool is control. And almost all transformative experiences, there's a transfer of control from the leader or the experienced designer to the experiencer or the team member. And so this con- runs contrary to the command and control style leadership that most people still cling to in their ideas about who a leader is and what a leader does. And it says, okay, we're going to invite people in to co-author the experience, to Mm co-narrate and co-create the experience. And if that's not there, that possibility vanishes. So control and when to give it away and how is a very big skill in in the Elvis toolkit. Um, There are others. Uh, Immersion is a huge one. We talk a lot about multi-sensory design as increasing all the benefits for learning and and transformative experiences are all learning experiences. Even at the C-suite, they're always learning if they're doing this right. Um, But there's a a tactic that leaders can attach themselves to in immersion that's even beyond multi-sensory design, you know, engaging all the senses, and that's called um, imaginative immersion. I also like to call it narrative transport. The ability of a leader to create that narrative that's large enough to give meaning to all the work that we're doing together and to remind people of it. And then that element of let's participate in creating that narrative together immerses someone in the work that they do. And suddenly, Hmm. this has been tied with research, morale goes up, performance goes up. Um, the uh, all the bottom line business figures go up. That's um, very and retention is one of the biggest ones. You know, retention goes up as people want to stay in that spot where they feel the meaning in their in their lives. They feel immersed in the passionate life they work. Um, another one that's often neglected by leaders is social and emotional involvement which is your expertise, I know, but is often uh, just ignored, you know, as something, well, the team will figure out, you know, they're going to go to happy hour or something at the end of the week uh, or or get together on Zoom as they want to. I don't need to attend to that. And yet we see that the leaders who do attend, and I call it the social cohort effect, when they do attend and put in structures for the experience they're designing for their team, for that social and emotional component to be activated, that's really another key 
for us to find that meaning and greater purpose in our work. In, in my book, I align that to the wonderful Hawaiian word of kuleana, which is a concept referring to a, a deep sense of reciprocal responsibility and the relationship between the one who's responsible and the thing they're responsible for. So in Hawaiian culture, it's the people have kuleana to the land, a responsibility to respect and protect it, and the land feeds and shelters the people. So it's kind of like an extended sense of family. What's the kuleana on your team? How are you building it? How has it changed over time, if it has? And these are questions leaders don't usually uh, get taught to ask in their leadership training. And, and lots of experiences and, and stories that go along with that, for that matter. Oh, and then the last two are identity. Identity matters. Knowing and knowing how to engage your people on different levels. Who are they? I call it looking in the identity mirror and lots of specific tactics of it. But you can't do a one-size-fits-all solution and expect a, a wonderful experience mm-hmm. to spill out of it. So how do you get to know people through this identity lens? And we unpack it because we all have role identities, professional identities. We have social identities that tie us to others. And we have personal identities which separate us and make us unique from others. And, and if I am a leader who knows about that, I can, I can conduct my conversations with my team at that level and get to know them and then customize the experiences to my people. And then finally, meaning-making, which again ties us back to the narrative that central premise of Elvis. So that's a quick tour of the Elvis toolkit. Yeah. You have to read the book to get all of it, and it's the bulk of the book. But again, practical design tips included there to bring this theory down to that rubber-hits-the-road level. Beautiful. Beautiful. And, you know, it is an audio book, and it's a very joyful, easy-to-listen-to voice, although it's not Brad's wonderful voice. But it does give you... (laughs) an immersion experience. So I would go for it if you don't have time to read. It's lovely. Absolutely lovely. Love the audio. But thanks for saying that. I love that gentleman's voice. And he does a good job. You know, and just as we're reflecting on, on that immersion experience, I think that the, the technology of the audio books uh, and people listening to stuff, you know, so that's an accelerator into that immersion experience. You know, you get it coming in both ears or one ear and, and you're kind of right there. Uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. So we talked about during the, the break, you know, as people have, um, you, the leader provides everything, you know, they, they read your book, they provide the experience, uh, what they think is going to be a meaningful experience. And then you have certain people who it doesn't impact. Or let me say it this way and see how you respond. The, their history and their narrative is so strong that this new experience can't enter. Yes. So, thoughts on that? And, and, and it, seems like, it seems like you, for all your efforts and all your thought about skills, have right. not succeeded. And, yeah. And the fact is not everyone can have a transformative experience when you decide that it's time. You know, we know this about transformative experiences. They always come from within. And yet people usually mm-hmm. describe them as something that happened to them from the outside and yeah. with conditions that were beyond their control. We were talking during the break, um, and I am also a cancer survivor. And, of course, I did not want or, or in, I was not asked to design that experience for myself. It happened to me, right? And I, 
didn't like the the fact that it was happening. I didn't recognize it as an invitation. But when I finally did, mm. I recognized this is an invitation I don't get to refuse, but I do get to decide how I will RSVP, right? And so the transformation that, that started because I uh, was diagnosed with cancer and thankfully now in remission was one that rippled through my life and one that I was able to shape once I recognized it as an invitation. So the question when people don't recognize these invitations to change themselves, even when they verbally say that they do, is, is not necessarily what you didn't do as a leader. The question is for the experiencer, are they available at that time and place for the experience? And a lot of that has yeah. to do with their own internal narrative framing. You know, I, I have this great opening lines that I used to give. I used to, uh, for corporate retreats as well as I used to do teen leadership camps uh, for the Bayer Corporation, uh, international teams would come. And the speech was very similar to both of them. And, and it was an attempt to offer a narrative framing for what was about to happen on our team that made them available or invited them to become available for a transformation. And it was something like this. You know, look around you, all these strangers sitting next to you, across from you, looking back at you. You know, you don't know them, and they don't know you. But I guarantee you, two weeks from now or a month from now, whatever the time of the workshop was, there will be tears at your party. Tight embraces, long last looks as you say goodbye. Here we are together. And they never believe me, by the way. But here we are together. They're looking at each other, even the adults, right? We're here in this time and place. We're a group of friends and colleagues. We will never be here again like this. And we will never come together to do the things that we are tasked to do together, the risks we'll take, the narratives and adventures we'll share. This is the time. It'll never come again. So I yeah. invite them. Seize this. Expand yourself. Invite the transformation in. It's your experience, how we live it. Some people will accept that invitation, and they make themselves. Yeah. It frames up everything that is to follow. It's an inspiring yeah. narrative. It opens a possibility space. But not everybody will walk through that, and that's okay. And that's so, where love, you see uh, the difference. Yeah, but also between the people who are available and the people who have been caught in victim, that they have no yeah. availability left. It, whatever's happened to them has cemented yeah. that individual's perspective. And it, it obviously, in the two weeks that you have them, could shift, but that's at the introduction of that formation that we see in many organizations where we have, for the first time, five generations of individuals with different experiences working together where that invitation yeah. is so much more powerful than it ever has been. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's possible still to have an extraordinary experience and a worthwhile experience Absolutely. without transforming your sense of self. We wouldn't call it a transformative experience. But that's not a failure on the part of a leader who sets out to design experiences for the people in their spheres. You know, it's a, a wonderful outcome and one that's increased when, when you look at the tools and the psychology of Elvis it's more likely we'll have extraordinary experiences. Me in my own life, I've had times when I'm more or less available for a transformative experience. And it may be the relationship I have with the leader. It may be the, the struggles I'm going through in my life or the stories I'm telling myself about myself. 
If a leader knows what those are, though, and has spent some time investing in understanding the identity of the people that they're working with, there's a better chance that they'll be able to design meaningful experiences. Yet leaders don't often know how to do that. And it is a skill that can be learned. It's a, as we were talking on the break, growth mindset skill. We're seeing the power of not yet, the potential of the person, the ways they want themselves to grow through dialogue with a leader. All of these things are related and powerful tools that we can have in our toolbox as experience. Beautiful. So like, well, we're coming uh, to the end here. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Let me I'll just let you have in the here. final so, word. So what, so what I like about this is, is this idea of the uh, asking about the risk and g- inviting them to take a risk. And so I'll just uh, share this one thing and then we'll come to our end here. I like this quote from James Clear. Every decision you make is a vote on who you want to be. And so this idea that you have a vote on who you want to be, but it goes back into the moment that Kathy and I always talk about being in the present. And what's the vote uh, on who you want to be in the present? And if leaders can help, you know, bring that in, that's going to be really valuable. So, Brad, thanks so much. Kathy, I'll let you kind of bring us home. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in to Tune Up. And don't forget, you can get your 11 reasons why you need to develop emotional intelligence at www.emotionalbrilliance.com backslash academy. We'll see you next week or hear you next week. Either way, come on back. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.